Hey friends, Andy Jenkins here at the Hilltop. I'm actually, again, I, I think the garage is my new favorite recording spot. So Beth is upstairs in our office. We have this great office with these huge windows that really overlook some of the land, some of the trees, uh, just some of the space that's out here where we're up on. Uh, some of you that have been up here were actually up on a hill, uh, but maybe I'm going to say five, six months ago, maybe a little bit more than that, I really started recording downstairs on some of the projects, uh, na namely this. I began in 2022 recording some of my own audiobooks. Now, I've recorded before in a studio. I liked it. Uh, it is a grind, but but not in the bad way. You really go in, there's focus time, you walk into the studio, they have a microphone, everything's set up, and then you just begin laying down the tracks and you read. You get to a mistake, they tell you, you stop, <laughs> you go back, you redo that sentence and they just kind of overdub it and then you go forward and they take out you know the breaths and some of the other noises you make. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Some of the books I've written in the past are on Audible, and you can buy them on Amazon. But this year, I really tried something different. I thought, uh, and this rolled out when I released the LifeLift project, which, uh, heads up, in 2023, we're going to do a lot of promotion on that and really try to uh, get that message out to as many people as possible. With those audiobooks, I really thought instead of going into the studio, I'm going to record those on my own at the house. And when I decide that I want to make a tangent and you, you call it rabbit trails, when I want to do that, I'm going to just do it. And some of the things that would be in a footnote that you really don't record in an audiobook, I might just refer to them and say them. Or if I'm reminded of a story, I might just highlight it. Or if there are concepts that I could say better that would connect one idea to another one and say, oh, hey, you remember like back in this point earlier, uh, maybe book number one of four, we were talking about, you know, this concept or, hey, there's a video online that you might want to watch. That's like, I could I could take those and chase those moments, which you can't really do in an official audiobook on Audible to sell through Amazon be because they don't like that. It's just read the text, read the book. And so really experimented with that this year and recorded downstairs and would come in and just knock out a book in a day. Uh, it became a great way for me to edit some of the books to see if, hey, th that idea doesn't really flow or this would be better written as this. And so it became part of really the editing production process. And this year, I, I read uh, one, two, three, four books. So that was Life Lift books one, two, three, and four. I also read the Purpose book, which is based on the Life Lift material. I read the Freedom Recovery book. So what is that? That's five, six books. Freedom Recovery is the 12-step book. And then in addition to that, I read the book that I'm doing this series of talks on, Stronger, S-T-R-O-N-G-E-R, uh, Thoughts for Men on Masculinity and really Spiritual Leadership is where that targets. The whole idea is that as men, we need to lead strong. We don't need to back down, don't need to backpedal, 
uh, there's a big move in culture that says maybe you do. We actually need to lead strong, but we need to love even stronger. Those two ideas really converged together in that book. I, I wrote it uh, this summer over just a couple of weeks. I pulled together some notes on things that I had taught before many times and really just hadn't published them yet, but pulled them together uh, on my way up to speak at a church and thought, you know, when I go there, I'm going to leave them something behind. And uh, as part of my study process, I, I just kind of enjoyed putting all of that together. And so um, that was just part of the workflow and out came the book and uh, really left that behind with those guys, left them access to the audio book. I'm telling you that long story because I really, before I get into this episode, wanted to let you know where uh, the idea for this came from, um, where the audiobook is. There is a link down in the show notes below. If you'll click on that link, you can get the entire audiobook absolutely free. There's no uh, other thing that you need to do. There's no other thing that you need to purchase, no other uh, agenda there. You can go in there and take advantage of the audiobook absolutely free, stronger. I think it's 10 chapters long. It does have some questions at the end of each chapter, so it'd be great for guys uh, if you want to study. It's great insight for women as well, just to kind of know, kind of flipping the book right there, um, re really kind of biblically, you know, my opinion, which is probably uh, needs some more refining and will continue to get refined. It really kind of just lets you know, hey, here's kind of what I'm thinking from the scripture. This might be a good outline uh, for guys to at least bounce the ideas off of together. And so anyway, take advantage of that. The link is down there in the show notes. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. Here, here's kind of the main idea is when you look at the scripture, uh, there are these lines of what men can do and what women can do. And those lines are a lot fuzzier and a lot more blurry than we typically make them. Okay, so to be clear, the lines that we draw of what men should do and what women should do, they are, I believe, a lot fuzzier than where we usually land. A um, couple years ago, I flew out to go see Emma. She was uh, at the time, I, I believe we were up in, we went to, oh goodness, she's lived in Wyoming. She's also lived in Baton Rouge. She's lived in LA. I think this was on a trip to Baton Rouge. And I took her a pair of socks. Now, Beth and I had shot up to Chattanooga and uh, kind of toured around and done a couple things there. It's just a short run from Birmingham. And we walked into this gift shop and I found these socks. They just kind of jumped off at me at this little, you know, silly gift shop with all these trinkets and, you know, crazy uh, greeting cards and odd books and, you know, funny t-shirts. These socks say, uh, I'm a girl, what's your superpower? So it really reminded me of, of Emma, uh, because <laughs> she's all about, you know, college age girl, all about feminism. And, and it got me really thinking about her. Uh, it got me thinking because I, you know, I've had this material, even though it was released in 2022, I've had this material kind of circulating in my head for, for probably a decade or more. Uh, it's been circulating in my head the last five years as I walked through a really difficult season that included a divorce. And so you start really questioning everything, including, ah, oh, what did I do wrong? Oh, goodness, what, what could I do better? Uh, 
well, would I change, you, you know, given a different opportunity in the future? And so it really gets you thinking about, you know, these male and female roles and how we relate and connect and walk forward together and live God's purpose and plan for our lives. And so during that season of visiting Emma, getting those socks, I just started really thinking, hey, you know, in in the New Testament alone, in the New Testament by itself, aside from warriors and judges and other stereotype-defying women that we see throughout the entire narrative of the Bible, in the New Testament alone, we see that women are totally, and I mean absolutely front and center essential to everything that Jesus did. So I flipped open the Bible, started looking around, just kind of flipping uh, you know, you know, that's probably the book that I know the, the best and flip around and, and notice, let me give you this list. Okay. So here are women, not men. These are things that ladies did, not men. So the women encouraged Jesus to reveal his power, nudging him to perform his first miracle. That was in John 2, 3, when his mother really kind of puts him in the corner to transform the water to wine at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. It was women who funded the ministry of Jesus. So you think about that, no women equals no money for ministry. That's Luke 8, 3. A lot of times people go, well, golly, you know, I hate it that ministries ask for money. I hate it that they take up collections. I mean, goodness, it, it takes money to do anything. And right here, essentially, to the ministry of Jesus, women are funding that. Uh, women also crashed parties to which they were uh, not invited uh, in order to honor Jesus publicly. So you see the woman that anoints him for burial. This, this happened twice. She anoints his feet with essential oil, uh, alabaster um, a flask of costly oil of spikenard. That's in Luke seven thirty seven, Luke seven forty four. Uh, women are the ones that made some of the boldest faith claims and took action that you see throughout the out the Bible. So Mark five twenty five, um, you know, you have these episodes of the woman with the flow of blood who says, "If I could touch the hem of his garment." You also have the woman who you, you know her child is you know, unable to get well. And she comes and says, oh, just a, just a crumb, a morsel, just a small miracle. Um, in other instances, it was a woman who was healed and then people heard of it. This is Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Everybody heard of it and hearing of her miracle, which was evidence when she got up and cooked food and then served them, caused Jesus's ministry in the early days to explode. That's Mark one thirty. Uh, here's a great one. I want to I talk about this a little bit more as I start breaking open some of the text here of the scripture and this book. A woman, quote, sat at Jesus's feet. Now that is in Luke 10, 39. It's also in John eleven twenty eight. That is a euphemism from that culture, meaning that those women were accepted as disciples. Now that is completely countercultural to that day uh, because people thought, Hey, a rabbi would only recruit and teach men. That's actually something that a lot of people even today still debate about. Uh, another observation. John 12, 1 and following, uh, it was a woman that encouraged him before facing the cross rather than denying it would happen or running away. Uh, another one. 
a woman encouraged Pilate that he had his facts wrong about Jesus. That's Matthew 27, 19, and that she had had a dream, and Pilate was about to execute an innocent man. That's Pilate's wife. Uh, John 19, 25. It was women who stood at the cross after the men fled for their lives. And remember, the men even denied knowing Jesus at all. Uh, the women, John 20, uh, verses 1, verse 15, uh, and verse 19. So John chapter 20, basically. The women were the first to the empty tomb. They were the first to see the resurrected Jesus, and they were the ones who informed the disciples. Okay, and you got to remember, this happened while the men were all quote, locked behind closed doors, fearing their lives. Uh, in Acts 2, we see that the women were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell at the first Pentecost, meaning they also received the full measure of the Holy Spirit, just like everyone else. In Acts 2.14, several of the women are actually singled out. Uh, a woman, this is great. Acts 9.39 was the first person to be recorded as being resurrected after Jesus' resurrection. So that was Tabitha. Some people use her other name, Dorcas. Um, Acts 17.26. I got just a few more, but and I, I think it's worth kind of taking the time to read through them, though. I know it's taking a lot of bandwidth right there because we don't typically talk about this. Women instructed some of the men leading the early church on essential doctrinal issues, thereby empowering those men to grow churches and fulfill their calling, uh, as we see happen with Apollos, is taught by Priscilla and Aquila. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 is when that church grows based on things that she taught him. Uh, women also led in the top leadership roles in the early church. So Philip's daughters, they became prophetesses in Acts 21.9. Uh, there's a list of women in Romans 16 that are singled out as deacons, uh, including a woman named Junia, so it's a female, who is referenced as an apostle in verse 7. Uh, another one, women took the lead position in some matters. So Acts 18.26 uh, you see that the, the order in the ancient world, we kind of miss this because we just kind of list names of, hey, who all was at the party or who all was at that event or who all spoke at that conference. Uh, in Acts 18.26, we see the order of the people listed. That was really an important convention in the ancient world. The order denoted their importance on a specific project or an issue. So it's really intentional that Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, mentions the women first. We see this throughout all the Gospels. That Well, they're list the disciples in the order Peter, James, and John. And then they'll go through the others, uh, usually in the same order. And then it's always Judas that's listed last. Now, why do they do that? It's because the order in which you list the names in that culture, at least, was important. We still really do some of this today. Uh, here's maybe a few more. Uh, the women were encouraged to stand and prophesy in the church as women and not hide their femininity in doing so. Um, in other words, Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 11 too, that's where you can search that out. You don't have to act like or be like a man in order to participate. You can live from the image of God that you've been given. Uh, more. <laughs> Women were imprisoned, yes, locked up because of their leadership roles in the early church. That's another one in Romans 16, 7. Um, Women are emphatically told to submit to men 
Ephesians 5.21, who were also told to submit to the women. So we tend to look at that one side of it, but we forget, oh, wait, hold on. There's there's something more going on here. Like sometimes the women, you know, if you're a lady, you're listening, you're like, yeah, sometimes you need to defer to that guy. Hey, guy, man, sometimes you need to defer to that woman. How do we know? Well, you got the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, you got the scripture, and you look at that. And in that passage, Paul really kind of lists out several uh, assets that the women and the men both bring to the table. And so you, you really lead from each other's strengths there. First uh, Peter 3, 7, women are equal heirs of grace, not secondary or lesser heirs. And then here's the last one. Last observation, and, and then I want to get into that. Man, that's a long introduction. Last observation is this. We go back to the Old Testament, back to the second chapter of the entire book of the Bible, and in Genesis chapter 2, it says that God formed the man. That's the word that's used. He formed the man, Genesis 2-7. And, and even in the Hebrew language that it's written in, it's two different words. He fashioned the woman. Man formed, woman fashioned. That's Genesis 2-7 and Genesis 2-22. Fashioned, it's a, it's a more artistic word in the Hebrew that speaks of something exquisite and wonderful, what he's really getting at is the women are your version 2.0. Like it is a completely different higher level upgrade and are the crown of creation. Okay, so kind of mid-talk commercial. If you want to learn more about all of that, just grab the free audiobook. The link is down in the show notes there. Let me let me explain what I mean in this. So in the book of Luke there is a story. A lot of you probably know this story. It highlights two sisters. Let me just read this. Jesus visits the house of Mary and Martha. Here, here's the story. Uh, I'm going to highlight a few things as I read, and then we're going to do some discussion on it. All right. So now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So there it is. Martha welcomes Jesus and the disciples into her house. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So pause. Martha welcomes them into her house. Mary sits at the Lord's feet. Verse 40, now here's the verse that most people know out of all of this. But but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve? Tell her to help me. <laughs> like in other words, tell her to get up. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, it's a great passage. Again, Luke 10, 38 through 42. I've heard this passage preached in stories dozens of times. The inference is always the same. Mary did a good job. Martha, who owned the house, completely missed it. But let, let me point out a few things. I'm looking at my notes here. I've, I've got like maybe two big ideas that I just want to put together and keep stacking. First observation, it's Martha's house. Uh, don't miss the significance of that. Okay, so yes, in the story, she could have paid more attention to Jesus, but honestly cut the woman some slack. The reality is that somebody must fund the ministry we do. 
Somebody has to organize it. Somebody has to resource it. Somebody has to provide a place for the magic to happen. The Lord honors and calls people to do that. And remember, I referenced it earlier, women were funding the ministry of Jesus to a large degree. And right here, I mean, this is a radical cultural shift that a woman owned the property. Boom. All right, first observation. Second observation, Martha, she certainly experiences a moment in this story for sure, but she exhibits an astronomically high faith quotient. So she clearly does say, Jesus, would you correct Mary? Like, she's not doing Like, I'm running around. She's like, get her to help me. Later in their story, though, uh, when their brother Lazarus dies, Martha is the one who first confesses that Jesus could have stopped Lazarus from dying and that he can still resurrect the dead brother in that moment. So if you want to read that story, it's in John 11. Look particularly about verse 21. It even, the way I'm reading that story now, makes you wonder if Martha's faith was responsible for that miracle in the same way that the centurion's great faith was responsible for his servant's healing in Matthew 8, where the centurion came to Jesus and said, hey, if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. Uh, Martha, in effect, says, hey, Jesus, you you can resurrect him. Like you, you can say something right now, and he'll get up out of that grave. So don't overlook the significance that Martha owns the house, and Martha has this radical, intense faith and belief, trust in Jesus. Okay, so that said, there's a strong lesson we can learn from Mary, too. Quite simply this. She, quote, sat at Jesus' feet. That was in Luke 10, 39, right there. Let me, let me read it to you again. Uh, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, don't, don't interpret this to mean Martha ran around, but Mary sat down and paid attention. No, 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 no. Luke is showing us something far more powerful in this passage. So to sit at a rabbi's feet, it meant that you were accepted by them as a student. Uh, so in Acts 22.3, Luke, also writing that passage the same as this, Luke says that Paul was, quote, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. That was a really famous rabbi. Uh, Gamaliel was the rabbi who exhorted the Jewish tribunal not to sentence the apostles to death in Acts 5.34. So in this passage right here, Luke communicates to us that Mary was accepted by Jesus as a student in whom he would invest his time and his focused training and teaching. And you got to remember, like back then, you couldn't just go enroll in a school. You couldn't just say, I've got the money. I'll pay for this. Rabbis chose their students. The rabbi was the one who said, I believe in you. I see something in you. You can do this. And Jesus clearly chose Mary. Now, Martha is the one who rushed to greet Jesus when he came to visit after Lazarus's death. I remember uh, telling you that just a few moments ago. Mary at that time remained in the house, and when Martha stepped inside to let Mary know that Jesus had arrived because Lazarus had just died, Martha said, and this is a quote from John eleven twenty eight, the teacher is here and calling for you. So even there, Whereas most people called him master or lord, both of these sisters enjoyed a unique rabbi-student relationship, I believe, based on what they're calling him. These female spiritual powerhouses, 
knew him as teacher. Okay, remember the socks that I talked about earlier? I'm a woman. What's your superpower? Jesus is seeing something in them and accepting these sisters, these women as students. He's flipping a cultural script upside down. In fact, John also goes out of his way in those stories. <laughs> and this is subtle. Uh, in the shortest verse in the entire Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. When I was a kid and people go, hey, you got any Bible verses memorized like growing up in church? That was just kind of a cutesy, clever thing. Hey, yeah, I've got a Bible verse. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. We totally missed the significance of that because it was just a short verse. <laughs> oh, yeah. Two words. Jesus wept. In that culture, this is powerful as well because weeping was, quote, women's work, not man's. Weeping was women's work. Learning was man's work. Don't miss it. Weeping, women's work, crying, mourning, women's work, learning to change the world, to implement strategy reserved for men. And here's what's radical. Not only did Jesus flip that, Paul also topsy-turvied that script. He embraced women as co-laborers. So we referenced that earlier. If you look at Romans 16, 3 through 4, you can see a whole list of men and a list of women. And it's not like he even lists the men first and then here's the women. Like they're just scattered and sprinkled all throughout there. He even acknowledged some of the women as apostles and deacons. So for instance, Phoebe, right out of the gate, Romans 16, 1 through 2, when he's given all of these shout outs. Uh, as well, there's a story where he mentions Priscilla's name before her husband Aquila's uh, in four of the six times that they're referenced. This denotes her importance. Now, Paul's mentioning that. Luke's the one that's writing, that's kind of transcribing the stories there. Uh, in the ancient world, the order in which, you, again, you reference names, it often marked who contributed the most or who held the lead position in a project. That's in Acts 18.36, by the way. So even if Paul isn't making the argument in that passage uh, where he relays that, hey, this couple uh, taught Apollos and, hey, she was more important— the inference and the indisputable reality is this. She's mentioned, and it's clear that a woman taught a man. Now, let me say this, because this always comes up anytime I'm having this conversation. Uh, Paul's admonition to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.11 is that, hey, let me just kind of quote it. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. That's the quote. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. People use that as proof that women should be silenced, <laughs> that they shouldn't say anything. Really, that's a stretch because, well, first of all, everyone, even men were encouraged to learn in quietness and submission. Uh, students defer to the rabbi, period. <laughs> in fact, it's God's will. Remember, I referenced this verse earlier that, that we all submit to each other. Like That's an attitude that we're supposed to carry. Second of all, Paul and everyone who read that letter would have realized that he had a different emphasis than quietness and submission. So in, in our culture, we tend to look at that and go, yeah, women's supposed to be quiet. They're supposed to submit. That's not at all what Paul was emphasizing because, again, everybody would be quiet and submit when the rabbi's talking. Here's what they would have picked up. Uh, a woman should learn in quietness and submission. So what they would have gotten from that is Paul declared that women should learn 
And here's why. Because they were called to be disciples of Jesus and were empowered to serve in leadership and in every other area of the church and in the marketplace. And this is why throughout 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which is his longest exposition on spiritual gifts, Paul assumes repeatedly that women will prophesy and women will participate in the full expression of the body of Christ. Okay, remember, it was women who presumably funded fully the ministry of Jesus. That's Luke 8, 1 through 3. Uh, it was the women who stood with him at the cross when the men fled for their lives, John 19, 25. It was the women who discovered the empty tomb. You can find that in Mark 16, 1, as well as the other Gospels. Uh, here's, here's what I'm getting at. I think for years, uh, and, and I, I saw some of this. I think growing up in a church, we, we really were kind of figuring it out, doing the best we could, didn't always get it right. I think even in churches where I've served before, you know, you, you don't you don't get it right. You you just you keep learning and keep seeing it and keep going. Oh God, oh so sorry. We should have. Uh, now I'm learning more. Right. Uh, I think for years the church has squashed the gifts and calling of women in ways the Scripture really doesn't. Are men and women different? Yeah, a- absolutely. You know, in, in our culture, when we're going all, all this gender differentiation and gender bending in this. You know, like I, th- I think we've totally missed it there. I, I really think that's. Probably, not probably, it is an attack of the enemy going after people's identity. I don't even think it's sexuality that's the main thing. I think if he can get people second-guessing and not knowing who you are as an image-bearer of the Creator, he'll do it any way he can. And so if it's just getting you to second-guess your value through performance, he'll do it. If it's getting you to second-guess your value through gender identification, he'll do it. If it's getting you to second-guess your value through failed relationships and abandonment and rejection, he'll do it. He doesn't care. Like, he'll use it at core. It's identity. Are men and women different? Totally. Do we have different roles? Eh, Maybe. Are those roles and tidy and as rigid as we've made them? Right there, I would say probably, probably not. Oh, you see? Okay, so, you know, I think, let me probably crash land this episode. I think this is something we've really got to figure out because it is so skewed in our culture. Um, Maybe let me close this with a story. I remember a few years ago, it's been more than a few years ago, you know, my boys now are, they're, they're, most of them are in that high school, junior high phase. I mean, one of them's even graduated. Okay, so he's he's up and out, has his own place. Uh, the others, they're into wrestling. Two of them are wrestling. One of them, one of them's into basketball. You know, they're into athletics. They're lifting weights and they're walking around and they're strong and, and they're, you know, masculine. And you can see these, you know, muscle definition and, and they, they are absolute, you know, I say this with the uh, honor and respect. They're absolute studs. They're they're beasts. They're you know tough. They 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 are. I mean, it's the title of the book that you know you can get the free audio book for down below. Str- stronger. Um, a few years ago, one of those boys. I'm not going to highlight his name, but he, he's one of the guys that's a wrestler. He grabbed one of my daughter's dolls. He was about five, and he picked it up. A doll. <laughs> so this is like a 18-inch tall doll. It's, it's the size of an actual baby. And during that season, there was probably a baby in the house. We have so many kids, right? He picked it up. He hugged it. 
and then he playfully started tossing the doll in the air about a foot above his head. Just kind of like if you're a dad, kind of envision this, because I've done this with every single one of the kids. You kind of get them, you chunk them in the air, you know, they kind of fly up, and then you catch them. You chunk them, and then you catch them. You chunk them, and then you catch them. You know, and at some point, they get afraid of heights and all this kind of stuff, but you chunk them and catch them, and they love running up to you, and you get them, and you chunk them and catch them and hug them and chunk them and catch them. And, and he was doing this catching and hugging the baby every time he caught the baby, just as he had seen me do with his older brothers and sisters when he was a baby. And then he had experienced me doing with him. And he saw me, he's five, he's kind of getting out of that chunk phase, although like I would chunk them until they're four or five, you know, uh, as he's seeing me do with his younger ones at that age. Uh, so I'm, I'm not saying that we should take away trucks and guns away from boys and replace them with Barbie dolls. Not at all. That that wasn't even a Barbie doll. That that was just a, it was like a size of a Cabbage Patch kid. If you remember the Cabbage Patch kids. The reality is this. Grown men. Men, men like me. Men, men like guys that are listening to this. Uh, if you're a woman, it's men like the man that you're in relationship with. Uh, strong men actually do things like change diapers. They push strollers. They they care for kids. I remember being in an event uh, about two years ago, uh, right right before COVID. I was at an event in Kansas City, and it was it was this uh, you know a, a kind of a one day conference thing. And I'm at the back at, at the book table. And there's a session going on up front, and there's this woman who's walking by me. She's she's going the the restrooms were kind of past um, the book tables where where I was, and she's walking by. She's got one baby in a stroller that's that's crying. She's got another baby on her shoulder that's crying. It's obvious that she's going to change the baby that she's holding. And I I just looked at her and I said, Hey, does, it, does that baby need to be changed? And she's like, Yes. And I'm just you could tell like mom is just stretched thin. Uh, husband was working that day. So he's, he's doing exactly what he needed to be doing. And I, I looked at her, I was like, why don't you give me that baby? It's just like, what is like, I have changed diapers for, you know, at, at that point, it was, um, you know, seven of the kids. It was like, give me the baby. I gotcha. And she was like, really? I said, yeah, I got, I got it. And I tell you the seven kids, I, I am like a NASCAR pit crew when it comes to changing the diaper, I can like, like you've seen them changing tires, like all the sounds. Uh, so I took the baby, uh, put the baby behind my book table. Everybody's facing forwards, privacy for the baby, changed the baby right there. So take the baby off. Like she could kind of see as an eye view of, of the baby, handed her back the baby. <laughs> okay. I don't think I've sh shared that story probably ever, but real, real guys have the skill set to do tough things, to go run, to lift weights, to do pull-ups, uh, to wrestle, you know, to, to bear hunt, to do all this other stuff that guys do, right? Fish, what, whatever, whatever it is that you do. Um, but they also have this skill set that's tender, that can step into the places that typically we reserve for women. Uh, women have this tender side where in a previous episode, I said, I really believe women have this hotline to the Holy Spirit where it just seems that they hear his voice 
so clear. I, I mean, goodness, like my, my wife, Beth, she will hear the voice of God and tell me something that's going to happen two and three months down the road. It would be foolish to not take that teaching. It would be foolish to silence that voice. It would be foolish to not allow the women to walk into the full giftedness of what they have as image bearers of the Creator, as people who hear His voice, as, as I began the talk, the list of all the things that you see in Scripture that were so pivotal that they did, not because men were absent and weren't around. It was just, I mean, that would be a whole different argument. Like we show up like on Wonder Woman Island and there's only women there. There's there's no such thing as men. No, there were men around. Why did the women do it? They were just better at it. They were equipped for it. God had called them. He had set them aside to it. I don't have a tidy answer for you, but I do know that it's a real thing that we've got to explore and not just explore, but but implement and put into practice. All right, so here's the closeout. The link to the full audiobook down below. Let's continue the conversation in the next talk. I'll see you then.